together. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Very familiar story. Many of you may have seen it on different films. right? This is the, the, the tail end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And he sets it all up. He, he arrives uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? It was a fulfillment. The people back then, if they were familiar with the Old Testament, right, they would say, oh, Zechariah 9.9. 500 years ago, that was a prophecy. And man, look, it's happening. It's happening, right? And he comes on a donkey, which in that time was a sign of peace, right? Back in that day, if you rode in on a horse, a stallion, that was a sign of military triumph. And interestingly enough, Revelation tells us that one day Jesus is going to come back on a white horse. But in this case, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And people, people are all excited. They're, they're, they're sensing something is, is happening, right? I shared earlier, people were throwing their garments on the ground, right? In 2 Kings 9.13, they did this. Also, it says in this, you don't have to turn this, it says, In 2 Kings, they hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king! Right? So there's a lot happening here. There's a fulfillment of a prophecy. There's somebody coming in on a donkey. People are throwing their cloaks on the ground. This is somebody big. We only do this for kings. Right? They're waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna! That happened in the Old Testament in Leviticus 23 at the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? They would wave palm branches and, and Hosanna was shouted and recited. At the, so they're like, whoa, something is happening. Who is this? Right? This is right at Passover. And so there are estimates that there's upwards of two to two and a half million people in Jerusalem. They all have to come. So there's this huge crowd behind them entering He's here, and there's a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem. And it says that the city was stirred. That word stirred is where we get the word seismic. Okay, this wasn't a little thing. This was a seismic event. So much was happening. It must have been so loud. I can't imagine. They were shouting, 
They weren't like, Hosanna, Hosanna. No, the Bible says they shouted. So thousands, tens of thousands, who knows how many, Hosanna! I mean, if, if, if just us went to the, the main drag here and just shouted, started shouting Hosanna, what kind of ruckus do you think that would make in this neighborhood? Now multiply that. So there's this, there's this seismic upheaval, right? There's this seismic upheaval. And, and that word Hosanna, right? You actually read it this morning. When you read Psalm 118, verse 25, where it said, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. You know what? O Lord, save us. You just said Hosanna. See, Hosanna originally was a petition, a plea, a cry for help. Save! Save now! Oh Lord, save us! Okay, so, so that was what, what, what Hosanna first began. It was a plea, it was a cry. Hosanna! I need help! Save us! Right from Psalm 118. Now, over time, Hosanna developed sort of an, a, a second meaning, which was more like, Hail! God save the queen. The, 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 the king lived forever. It was one of those uh, terms of respect and honor, more like blessing, a hail. So as they're shouting this, there's sort of this mixture of meaning. There's this mixture. Hosanna! Because many of them, I would say maybe the majority, a huge percentage, believed that Jesus was coming as a Savior from Rome. They were so excited because they were going to be set free from Roman rule. Jesus was a military, political, economic, social savior. And they were happy. And if you believe that, you would be too. Hundreds of years of Roman rule, and he's here. Savior has arrived. So they're, 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 it's, a, it's a mixture of a plea. Hey, yeah, save us, save us. And like, woohoo! Yes, he's here. Right? And so this is going on, and it says the city is stirred. It's stirred. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you've been a part of something really big. And it was just incredible to be a part of it. I remember way back in 1995, uh, we had a tradition growing up Sundays we'd watch the Chargers, right? And back then, uh, they were playing the Steelers, it's like January 1995, in the AFC Championship game at, at Pittsburgh. And it was a great game. We're watching it with my brothers and sisters, my parents. Chargers win, nail-biter. San Diego erupts. I mean, you could hear people out our back, the whole neighborhood, our whole neighborhood was screaming and shouting, right? San Diego's on this crazy high, woo-hoo, Chargers going to Super Bowl, Chargers going to Super Bowl, right? And then you hear, oh, they're opening up Qualcomm for when the players arrive. And we had never done this before. And we're like, you want to go? You want to go? Let's go. And we hop in our cars and we go to Qualcomm Stadium. And it was crazy. It was crazy. I don't think the authorities knew what was coming. I mean, it was just 50,000, 60,000 people descend on Qualcomm. No parking fee. It's just they open the gates, come in and sit wherever. And it was just this crazy mayhem. 
and everyone's celebrating and everyone's stirred. And then when the players finally arrive, oh my gosh, this eruption, you know, Junior Sale takes the mic and he's on the big screen and everyone's screaming. And then it's all over. You're like, man, that was awesome. We were a part of something bigger. San Diego was stirred and we were right in the middle of it. Here's what God wants to say to you today. Be in the middle of His stirring. God's not finished with you, with this body, and He's not finished with this valley. And the question today is, if God wants to stir the Ojai Valley, are you going to be a part of it? You want to be there? You want to say, let's go? Let's go. Something's happening. Something's happening. There's a seismic, supernatural event, movement of God in the Ojai Valley. Are you going to be there? Do you want to be there? Do you want to be there? And part of that, okay, part of that is understanding Hosanna. Hosanna. And if you've got to understand Hosanna, you've got to understand Jesus. Because look in verse, look in verse 10. So all this craziness is happening, right? 2.5 million people. The city is stirred. People are yelling Hosanna, right? Look at verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Right? Who is the object of everyone's attention? Who is this? Right? And it's interesting because you get a variety of responses. Don't turn it. In Mark 11.10, they, they, they speak of, Oh, the kingdom of David is coming. So some people thought he was the military political savior, right? Who is this? Oh, this is the guy who's supposed to set us free from Rome. Look at in verse 11, it says, the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Some people kind of thought, well, hey, this is that famous prophet. You know that guy that raised people from the dead? This is just that famous religious figure. If we're going to understand Hosanna where we are now and, and, and able to see the whole of Scripture and what God has revealed, we have to be able to ask that same question. Who is this? Who is this? Because in a little while, we're going to see in Matthew 16, Jesus asked His disciples very clearly, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? So this big stirring happens. People are like, well, who's the object? What's going on? Who's that? Who's the object of all this stirring? Right? And, and, and as, a, as an application right away, and I've had this discussion with the worship team and with, the, with a few others, God, God, God wants to say, okay, if we're going to understand Hosanna, we have to ask ourselves a primary question as a Christian. Who or what is the object of your faith? See, the crowds wanted to know who's the object of this procession and all this. My question this morning is, who is the object of your faith? What is your faith based upon? Or who is your faith based upon? Right? You see your notes there. The object of our faith is not and should not be self. See, here's the thing. Sometimes as believers, we pick up this idea. If I ask someone, hey, are you a Christian? And they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I say, well, how do you know? Because I have faith. Okay, I kind of know what you mean. Okay, well, tell me how else, how else do you know you're a Christian? Well, I read my Bible. I go to church. What's the first word in all of that? I. 
So you have to be very careful that your, your assurance of salvation is based on you being the object of your faith. Uh-uh. Because what happens if you wake up one day and you don't feel like you have faith anymore? We're not to place our faith in us. It's very, it, it, you got you to gotta ask yourself, how do you know you're going to heaven and not to the other place on the slide? What is the object? Who is the object of your faith? Because if your faith is based on you, right, I put there, there there's some, some things that can, can, can lead you astray. It can lead to pride. Well, look at me. I've got faith. What's wrong with you? Right? Self-righteousness. I've got faith. Why don't you just have faith? If you had faith, you wouldn't have all those problems, Susan. You're just missing something. Right? Self-righteousness. This comes through. Right? If it's, if it's all about me, it can, it can lead to self-reliance. It's all about me. I have faith. I'm doing this. I, I, I. And then it can even lead to the other way. You start to compare yourself to others. What if you, in your mind, don't feel like you have as much faith as Doris? Oh, I'm just a prairie chicken. And Doris and that whole row, they're the eagles. That's the eagle row. And as you go farther back, it becomes more like, you know, I don't know. Just, right? Because if it's about us, then we get into this weird church mode of comparing. How much faith do you have? I don't know how much faith do you have if it's about us. It's so weird. And then that leads into this fear of man, churched and unchurched man. Well, I can't pray in a group because I don't pray as good as Diana. So when it goes in a circle, oh, my heart starts to beat, beat, beat. And it comes to me. Anyone? It's crazy. It's all about us and our ability and our faith. And we're supposed to be talking to God, but who are we really listening to? Ourselves. I've been there. I've been so scared to pray out loud to talk to God. I am so fearful of what the other guys in the group are going to think about my talking to God that I intentionally, you know, you can, right? How many of you jump through hoops? I'll I'll recite a prayer I heard somewhere else because it sounded good to me. Right? Or I'll just be very quiet and hope they get the idea that I'm just going to have silent prayer today. (laughs) We get so tied up in knots. Why? Because if we're not careful, the object of our faith, even with the best of intentions, is all about us. And you've got to get your eyes off of you. That is not the object of our faith. Okay? Hang with me. You're going to get there. Right? It also says the object of our faith cannot be believing all the right stuff. And this is very important. This is super important. Because here, we are completely sold out to this being the Word of God. We are completely sold out that this is our authority. And as long as this church is in existence, we are going to teach this as the Word of God. But here's the most important thing I want you to hear. Not, not the most, but crucial. Crucial. Myself, Tyler, and Bill. We don't just want you to know the Word of God. We most importantly, for all eternity, the most important question is, do you know the God of the Word? If people were to come here 
and go, oh, I like coming there because I learn all the right stuff. And they, get all, they teach all the right doctrine. But they never knew the God of the Word? <sighs> Devastating. Devastating. Because what did Jesus say to some people who did all the right things? I never knew you. Are we sold out to this as the Word of God? Yes. But it doesn't end there. We want you to know the God of the Word. That is my heart. Every time we teach you this, it is so you leave here and love Him more. Every time we open this up and teach you, if you don't know the Lord, before you walk out the doors, you know the God of the Word. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Mike, I wish I would have brought it. It just popped in my head. I asked Mike several months ago to bring all the sermon notes he has collected. And Mike's a very organized, dutiful guy. Mike brought a stack this from the day one he's been here. They've been here that long. And, and the sermon notes were this thick. That's awesome. If it's helping you to know the God of the Word better. If it's not helping you know the God of the Word better, then it's just a glorified paperweight. You see, the object of your faith cannot be just knowing the right stuff. Turn to John 5. Look, at Jesus is very direct with the Jewish leaders about this issue. Look at John 5. John 5.37 Jesus is speaking to the Jewish religious leaders. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Verse 38. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Verse 39 and 40. Very important. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. To have life. What is he saying? He's saying, hey guys, I know you diligently study the Old Testament. You know it inside and out. And you think that's good enough. And he's saying, no guys... Those scriptures are pointing to somebody. Who? Me. The Word of God points us to the object of our faith. Jesus. Jesus. That is the point of the Word of God at the core of the Gospel, is to point us to Jesus. Not just to get it all right and make sure, oh yeah, okay, saved by grace through faith, okay, justification, got that, okay, sanctification, understand that definition. All of that is absolutely essential. I am not saying that's not important. But do you know the God of the Word? Do you know the God of the Word? And that's why we have to be very careful. You know, take this the right way. Conferences are great. Precept and women's Bible studies and DVDs, great. Christian books, great. Read them. Attend them. Study on your own. As long as your number one priority in all that study is to know God better. Because if you don't, here's the thing that can happen, and I've seen it. Your faith, your, it's supposed to be a relationship, it becomes academic. You become heady. You can become prideful. And you're no longer studying the Word of God to know Him better and to conform to the image of Jesus. You're studying the Word of God just to be right. And you show up at different things just to pick a fight. 
and debate. And your faith becomes about debate and dialogue instead of just loving God. So you've got to know the Word of God, but you've got to most importantly know the God of the Word. Right? James 2.19, what does he say about the demons? You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you realize the devil is a pretty sharp theologian? And his demons, they know this. (laughs) They know this. They've not put their faith in Jesus as the object of their salvation, but they know. They know what this says. Believe it. They know. The devil knows what the Word of God says. The devil doesn't know the God of the Word. As a yielded, submitted. In fact, he rebelled. Right? So we've got to not just know the Word of God. We've got to know the God of the Word, guys. So the object of your faith is not yourself. The object of your faith is not right doctrine and right creed. Okay? The object of your faith is a person. And who is that person? Who does all the Scripture point to? Jesus! So if someone were to ask you, how do you know you're going to heaven? What do you say? All you have to say is one word. Jesus! That's the object of your faith. The... the Let's, look at, let's just let Scripture speak for itself. Turn to John 1. We'll take a little survey through John. John 1.12. Actually, let's start at John 1.1 1, 1, and then we'll skip down. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in, with God in the beginning. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. Now skip down to verse 12. Yet to all who received Him, Jesus, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Right? Turn to John 3.16. Familiar, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, what? Believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, we we often think that that's just a formula. Two plus two equals eternal life. What that verse is saying is those who put their, 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 their faith in Jesus, He is the object of their faith, believe on Him, trust on Him, fully surrender, fully commit to Jesus, have eternal life. That's what John 3.16 is really saying. The object of your faith should be who? Jesus. That's John 3.16. Those who believe in Him, who entrust their whole being to Him, who embrace Him fully. Okay? That's the object of your faith. Turn to John 14.6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus basically telling us straightforwardly, I'm to be the object of your faith. I'm to be the object because there's no other way to the Father except through me. Again, 
the truth is, is, what is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? Don't put in yourself. Don't put in, believe in all the right stuff. See, the object of your faith has just got to be a person. Jesus. That is who you're clinging to. That's, that's who I'm clinging to for eternity. That's all we got, according to Scripture. Scripture says it's all about Jesus. Okay? Turn to Matthew 14.30. The last few weeks we've been looking at this story of Peter and the boat. Right? Matthew 14.30. Right? The guys are out on the boat. Jesus shows up. Peter says, hey, if it's you, tell me to come. What does Jesus say? Come. Right? Peter gets out of the boat. Starts walking, sees the wind and the waves, freaks out. What happens to Peter? He sinks. Now let's look at this, right? Let's uh, look at verse, we'll start in 29. Come, he says. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, what? Lord, save me! I love this, because in the heat of the moment, when he was going down, he didn't get all academic. I'm drowning, but wait, let me think. Is Jesus, let's see, he's the anointed one. Right? And, and Peter didn't get all self-reliant, doesn't say he flailed, right? He was going under, and in the need, in the, in the moment where he most needed to be saved, what did he simply do? Cried out! Lord, save me! See, I want to encourage you guys. As we study Scripture together, as we on Wednesdays and Sundays, don't ever forget the simplicity of just crying out to Jesus when you need Him. Don't make your relationship so academic, so formulaic, that you just forget in your moment of need, Lord, save me! Right? Lord, save me! I don't care who hears me. Right? It's amazing. If, if, if we get so heady and so academic, we start thinking and the fear of man comes in and doubt from the devil and all this kind of stuff. And you're drowning and all you really need to say is, Lord, save me. But we're all tied up in knots. And we can't even do that. We can't even ask for prayer. We can't even ask for counsel. Because we're all tied up in knots and we can't even just say like, Peter, I'm drowning. I need help. That was kind of... As simple as it was. And this morning, that's what Hosanna is. That's what Hosanna is. It's pretty simple, guys. Right? Turn to Matthew 16 since we're there, right? Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What would you have answered Jesus? What would you answer Jesus right now? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? See, when he said, first he, he kind of sets them up. Who do others say I am? Give me the VBS answers. What have you heard in the community? That's safe. We can always talk about what we've heard. And then he goes, Whoosh. who do you say I am? 
right? We can always say, oh, Pastor Richie said you're this and this and this, and I heard Bill on Wednesday. And go, yeah, yeah, that's really great, Tina. But who do you say I am? See what he does? Suddenly he goes from this very broad, general, churchy conversation and he says, all right, now let's get personal. Let's get real. Who do you say I am? <laughs> he wants him to own it. You have to own this. The object of your faith, you've got to own this. There are eternal implications and daily implications. The question is, do you own it? Who do you say, Candy? Not who does Cindy say, not who does Tony say. Who do you say I am, Candy? Right? It's piercing. And he says, you are the Christ. And what does Christ mean? Anointed one, Messiah, King, Deliverer. Right? And look what he says. Oh, well done, Peter. Right? He gets an attaboy. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. We're talking about hearing, God, hearing God's voice, right? God opening your eyes to truth. Who do you say He is? Who do you say He is? What is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith this morning, right? And why is this important? Because we said, Hosanna has an original meaning of save now. Rescue me. Question. Have you had that Hosanna moment regarding the issue of sin? Don't turn there. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all men. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're going to understand Hosanna, you got to go all the way back to the issue of sin. And I know, uh, here we go, that whole sin thing again. The issue of sin, like I shared before, it doesn't mean that you're a horrible, bad person. It just means that your sin results in a condition that is as bad as it can be. You understand what I'm saying? You're as bad off as you can be because of sin. Not that you're a bad person, but you're as bad off before God. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, right? John 3.17, which we never really get to, John 3.17 and 18, Jesus says, If you believe in me, you're not condemned. If you don't believe in me, you are condemned Already. See, because of the issue of sin that we all have, we're separated from God. It's death. We're, we're under His wrath and condemnation. That's, that's where you stand. And if you grasp that, and you understand the implications of heaven and hell, you know what can happen? Hosanna! I need to be saved. I need a Savior. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. That's the Hosanna moment. When you are so aware of your sinful condition and your need for a Savior that you cry out in Hosanna. A plea for salvation, deliverance. 
Now, why is that so hard? Because we're good moral people. And it's hard to acknowledge. What do you mean? God, I would go to hell, Bill? I went to OVCF faithfully. I gave. I served. One of the challenges I shared with the worship team, my pastor's kids. Many of you have raised your kids according to what the Bible says. You went to church. You put them in VBS, youth group. Da, 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 da. Your kids might have been really good. And in so doing, here's the challenge. Here's the ironic twist to all of that. All of you who raise your, your kids in good, loving, nurturing homes, they might have a hard time believing they're sinners. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I wasn't partying out after football games. I wasn't doing drugs. I listened to you. What do you mean I'm a sinner, Dad? I served. What do you mean I'm a sinner? That's the challenge in the church. Even for adults who've been in the church 20, 30 years, have you had a Hosanna moment where you understood your lostness and the implications of your sin and you simply said, Jesus, Hosanna. Hosanna, Jesus. Like the tax collector in Luke. Oh God, have mercy on me. A sinner. That's the starting point. That's what Palm Sunday is about. Is that Hosanna moment. Coming to that place where, where you're so overwhelmed with your sinful condition and then you're overwhelmed by the love and grace of God. And you cry out to Jesus and say, Hosanna! It's, I can't, there's nothing. I, it's all those filthy rags. There's nothing I can do to earn it. Nothing I can do to pay it back. It's all your grace. Jesus, Hosanna! Save me. And then here's the radical thing. When He becomes the object of your faith and all of you embraces all of Him and you become born again, Hosanna! I'm saved! I'm delivered! It's risen off. You guys got to get this. On one moment, when you understand sin, you're pleading, you're crying, Hosanna, oh Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna. Okay, I put my faith in you. Yes, I trust you alone. It's all about you, Jesus. Hosanna! I'm born again, complete, loved, accepted, pleasing, on my way to heaven. That fast. That's Hosanna. Every one of us. If this is you, you can wake up every morning and say, Hosanna! Because every day you should celebrate that you're saved and you're delivered. There are world religions and cults filled with millions of people trying to be saved. There are a bunch of people in this valley that believe right now they're in the process of being saved. Being saved. And they hope in the end, when all the scales are weighed out and all the tallies up, they hope that they did enough to be saved. Is that you? Is that you? If it's not you, you should be shouting, Hosanna! <laughs> you are saved. You are delivered. It's a done deal. Amen? Hosanna! Yes! You see what I'm saying? There's Hosanna, and once you get that plea and He responds by grace through faith, you've got to be saying every day, I am saved. Candy, are you saved? Have you been delivered from the penalty of sin? 
Have you been delivered from the power of sin? And ultimately, will you be delivered from the presence of sin? (laughs) This is where we are. This is Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. Hosanna! See, everyone in here shares the same testimony. Some of you say, I don't have a testimony. You have a testimony. If you were a believer in Christ, you came to a place in your life where you understood sin and you cried Hosanna. You had a Hosanna moment. Right? And you were saved and delivered. And now, Brenda, what can you say? Yes! Hosanna! If we individually appropriate this and then collectively as a body begin to live this Hosanna, this valley will be stirred. This valley will be shaken. Not by getting in their face and being dogmatic and arguing. No. They're going to look at a group of people, Hosannites, right? That's our new phrase. Hosannites, who are like, there's something different about you, Candy. Well, let me tell you about this word, Hosanna. Let me tell you about Hosanna. And you share Hosanna, your Hosanna testimony. There is a world that is agonizing for hope and truth and life. This is the week when you all the spring breakers, you know, I see that stuff that goes on in Mexico and all that. What are those kids searching for? Life? They want life. They want excitement. They want a good time. They want, they want to live. The mundaneness of life. They go there, they party, they get all in these altered states. Why? So they feel like they're living. They want to feel like they're living. Sporting events. Why do we go there? The bars. Why do they call it happy hour? Because people are, are struggling. Something inside them wants to live. And who has the answer? Hosanna. We do. There's a world out there just... Uh, can, can someone... Is this all there is, really? Go to work. Go to work. You know? My, my, my daughter is in this uh, peer. My oldest daughter is in this age now where some of her friends are graduating from college and getting jobs. And she talks to them. Is this all there is? I just wake up and go to work. And there's... <laughs> and you like, for us, we laugh, right? Like, there's this big letdown. <laughs> what do you think was going to happen after you got out of college? <laughs> yeah, no summer's off. <laughs> Two weeks, if you're lucky. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. Right? So all these people, right? College was living up. woo They get out to the real world. Is this all there is? Let's go to happy hour. My life's boring. Hosanna. Hosanna. If you've been here, and, and, and if, you, if you've not had that moment where you cry out for, for salvation, the plea, make it today. Just Jesus. And it can be as simple as like, like the tax. Have mercy on me. Sin. Hosanna. That's all I know, Jesus. That's all I know from today is I'm supposed to say Hosanna and cry out to you as the object of my faith. So I'm doing it. Hosanna. That's all you do. Embrace Him as the object of your faith and then keep moving forward because the Word of God says, Hosanna! You're saved. You are delivered. And for the rest of your life, you're with the rest of us in this thing called sanctification. It's Hosanna. Amen?